Here at the Steps to Investing podcast, our aim is to bring you news, hints and ideas, all designed for the inexperienced investor. Hello, I'm Simon Longfellow. And I'm Marcus De Silva. And welcome to the programme. This week, we examine the world of robo-advice, also known as digital wealth management. We speak to Dan Giddings at Wealthify, one of the key players in this space, and quiz him on how they manage wealth, what they actually invest in, and how they're trying to revolutionise access to the world of investment. But before that, let's get a roundup of the latest news in markets and in companies. Marcus, what's been happening in the markets this week? Yes, a very warm welcome to you all. This week, we hear that markets in the US are positioning for a particular winner and in Europe, bracing for round two of a coronavirus-induced lockdown. Starting with the US, and interestingly there, markets are starting to take on a bit more risk as they predict not only a Biden win, but also a so-called blue wave, whereby Democrats would take majority in both houses of Congress. Only a month ago, this very outcome seemed to rattle investors as they worried that a Biden win might mean a Trump legal challenge with a refusal to leave the White House, but also that left policies could lead to increased spending and taxes and therefore hobble stocks. In the past few weeks, however, sentiment on these issues seems to have changed. Investors are now more positive on a blue wave, thinking it would reduce political uncertainty across the globe and lead to the passing of a big, juicy fiscal package that would benefit green areas of the economy as well as those impacted by Trump's trade wars. It's causing a bit of a rotation in assets, with the selling of growth stocks which have performed very strongly this year as investors have opted for higher quality assets to protect them a little bit from the economic uncertainties brought on by COVID and buying into value stocks, which generally refers to those that appear cheap. That said, it would be foolish to think that it's all over for Trump as markets are not the best predictors of election outcomes as history tells us just four years ago. All in all, the S&P 500 is up 54 points to 3,488. Over to Europe, and it's been a bit of a dreary back end of the week as markets have fallen on concerns of rising COVID infections, as well as comments from US Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, who intimated that a second US stimulus package will be very unlikely to be passed before the election. The stock 600 has dropped 7 points to 362 this week. The CAC 40 is down 104 points to 4,821. And the German DAX is down 433 points to 12,638. In the UK, markets have also not had a great week and been trading poorly due to the introduction of a tiered restriction regime down to covid stalling Brexit-related trade talks between the UK and the EU, and pressure from a number of income-paying stocks going ex-dividend. Now, XD date refers to the date a particular stock starts trading without the value of its next dividend payment in the price. So it means if you buy into the stocks on or after that date, you won't be entitled to its next dividend payment a bit further down the line. The FTSE 100 is down 176 points to 5,800. 
Finally, in Asia, a lacking US stimulus bill isn't helping there, but also investors are cautious about anti-government protests in Thailand that aimed at King Mahar Vajiralongkorn, following a communique that was released on the palace website stating that the Crown property portfolio worth about $40 billion, which has been held on behalf of the monarchy and, of course, the Thai people for over 80 years, was now being reverted back under the king's control. Smacks of poor taste as it blurs the line between the king's own wealth and crown assets, especially considering he lives in Germany and at a time when the, when the Thai economy is wrangling with economic hardship in the face of a battered tourism industry. South Korea has also been seeing some nasty rises in Covid cases. All in all, Tokyo's Nikkei 225 is down 207 points to 23,507. Okay, moving on quickly to look at the company news this week. AMC, which runs cinemas in the US and the Odeon chain in the UK, has said it will run out of money by the end of the year, as audiences have abandoned screenings as so few new films have been released. Shares in the company fell 15% on Tuesday after it made the announcement. Attendance has dropped by 85% since it reopened its cinemas in August. A slew of banks and fund managers have reported rapid rebounds to profitability, with Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Citigroup and BlackRock all reporting positive numbers this week. Goldman Sachs reported its strongest profitability in a decade, mainly driven by its trading and asset management businesses. However, Bank of America and Wells Fargo reported lower third quarter profits as falling interest rates impacted their returns. WeWork, the office rental company, is to dramatically cut its rents in order to, to try keep its tenants. The company, already loss-making, is supported by Japan's SoftBank and is offering discounts on rent worldwide, in some cases up to 50% for the next few months. And online meeting platform Zoom is to bring apps and paid-for events into its video service as it attempts to capitalise on the huge growth in its usage over the last year. In the US, it has this week launched a test of its new on-Zoom product, which allows anyone to promote and sell virtual events. A full commercial service is planned for next year. OK, so that's the week in markets and in companies. Let's move on now to our feature interview. And this week, Marcus spoke to Dan Giddings at Wealthify, one of a new breed of online investment solutions. Let's just say we've got some money to invest, but you want to be fairly hands off with your portfolio and you don't want to pay for a financial advisor. Well, a robo-advisor might be the solution for you. A relatively recent innovation, these financial technology firms have slick digital platforms that make investing easy and simple, offering low-cost, globally diversified, multi-asset portfolios across varying risk appetites. Wealthify is one of the leading robo-advisor platforms in the UK, with over 30,000 customers having launched in 2016. Recently, it became fully owned by financial giant Aviva, 
as we see some of the more traditional financial services players stretch into emerging areas of fintech. Today, we are speaking to Dan Giddings, Head of Business Development at Wealthify, to find out more about how they work and what they're attempting to do for their clients. Dan, all right, let's start, um, before we get into the sort of weeds of the interview, let's start by debunking a little bit um, the name robo-advice, because I think people listening to this would probably think that it implies you're getting some form of financial advice through that name. Yeah, very very fair opening question. Um, so the term robo-advisor seems to be the kind of catch-all phrase for anyone within the whole digital wealth space, if you like. Um, we're not particularly comfortable with the term robo-advisor. Um, robo, okay, but um, you know, it does is perhaps suggestive of the fact that maybe there's some sort of funky algorithm doing absolutely everything behind the scenes and there's no humans. Whereas obviously we've got um, you know, a really impressive customer care team, we've got humans running the money, et cetera, et cetera. But more importantly is the second part of the term advisor. So we don't do advice at Wealthfight. This is a completely non-advised proposition. Um, so probably more helpful to use the terminology robo-investor um, or digital wealth manager, or as the regulator refers to us as online discretionary investment manager. So there you go. There's three options other than robo-advisor. All right, then, well, let's pick one. Let's go with digital wealth manager then. Tell me a bit about them. I mean, they're, 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 quite, a, um, they're quite a recent innovation. It's really only about a decade old. How, how did they come about? What were they trying to solve? So I'd say they came about um, with a, ultimately a shared vision, probably, in terms of all of these digital wealth managers were probably trying to address the same problem, namely that investing was deemed as being inaccessible uh, and just for the super wealthy and really just not for the masses. Um, and you've probably heard the phrase that wealth managers, digital wealth managers are trying to democratize investing. Hmm. So the, yeah, exactly. So the point being that in the past you might have needed a huge amount of money to qualify for advice or, or wealth management. Um, then of course you've got the, the new language or the jargon and the whole thing just seems complex and inaccessible. So at Wealth5, for example, we aim, our, our sort of fundamental aim is to inspire anyone to invest. And that's really important. I mean, ultimately, our, our core goal is that we want people to feel as comfortable with investing as they are with saving. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, I mean, there's a number of established players in this space now. Um, we've seen, I can sort of think of Nutmeg and Wealth Simple as as sort of two wealth simples from Canada. Um, so what are, are Wealthify trying to do then that's a bit different to, to these others? It's probably a combination of factors, Marcus. Um, first and foremost, and this is something our customers um, tell us and something that the industry pundits tell us, is that we've got a brilliantly easy to use interface. It's absolutely key that this stuff is simple and we've done that and we've done that really well. Um, then I'd say it's the fact that we've got fantastic customer care team. Um, we were nominated as the best customer care team at the British Bank Awards. Um, then thirdly, and absolutely not finally though, but this is arguably the most important thing, is the investment performance. We've got a really talented team of investment professionals that turn out consistently benchmark beating numbers. Um, and those sort of three things, you know, the ingredients that I I skim past in this podcast, but they take huge efforts to get right. Um, 
and, and, and it's not always going to be right on day one and, and that's a key point for us you know this this customer feedback loop and we're hungry as a business to improve so we listen to our customers we listen to the good celebrate that but equally we listen to the bad um, and we've got a, a dedicated slack channel where we we hear uh, live response from customers and we learn and we grow from that okay that's interesting how long does it take a customer to sort of go from start to investing you know like opening account i suppose so the whole journey from turning up on our website to uh, becoming a uh, active investor if you like 10 minutes start to finish we say well let's you know you mentioned journey there i mean i was thinking about the investor the journey there um is it a case where you expect people to get to a certain level of wealth and then at that there might become a point when it all becomes quite complex your financial affairs can get quite complex especially when it comes to things like tax and you kind of imagine that people will leave wealthify or you, you know um this this sort of platform and move on to an advisor or do you imagine this being as a one-stop shop for life honest answer is i don't know we, we've only been around but well, we launched our portfolios march 2016 so just shy of five years um my instinct tells me that we, you're going to experience both. There's going to be some people that attain a certain level of wealth and they're going to feel the time is right to engage the skills of a, of a qualified professional advisor and that's going to be right for them. And there's going to be others who might think, well, do you know what? I've had a brilliant experience today, to date um, on this simple digital wealth system. I might retain that and keep it as it is. I, I just genuinely don't know. Dan, let's get on to the investment solution and not just yourselves, but di digital wealth managers more generally. What they tend to use in, in their portfolios is passive products to, to give them exposure. So it's a, it's a multi-asset portfolio effectively. Um, there'll be some asset allocation, so some decisions around which assets or markets, geographies that, 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 they, that percentages of the portfolio will be in. And then let's say, 5% is going into large-sized UK companies, then what would be bought to gain exposure to, to that would be, a, would be, let's say, a FTSE 100 tracker rather than a, than a fund that's, that's run by a fund manager. Um, I just wanted to know, you know why this is the case broadly across digital wealth managers. Is it to do with cost or is there a particular issue with active management? um it's it's both so i mean you're going to feel like i'm really sitting on the fence here but, <laughs> but bear with me so um in terms of like the primary driver of investment returns our, our team would tell tell you that um, our investment team would say that the primary driver is asset allocation so what percentage you've got in equities what percentage in bonds property etc what percentage you've got the weightings in the core asset classes then you've also got to consider cost because the tiniest of difference in charges can make for meaningful differences over time. When you think about the compounding effect of charges over time, it can be really um, you know, disastrous portfolios. So for our original portfolios, we only use passive vehicles to express the views of the investment team. That helps keep costs down. And it means, of course, you know, as I said, the asset allocation being the key driver, they can concentrate on all that good stuff. That being said, we also offer um, ethical portfolios. And for our ethical portfolios, we believe at Wealthify that uh, investing in active funds is the only way to build portfolios that are truly ethical. 
The reason being that using an active fund manager means you can be sure that the underlying companies are meeting strict ethical standards and they can be using their voting rights to advance ESG. So original, passive, ethical, active. We, we kind of, you know, we apply both. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting point you make about ethical investments. I mean, there are passive ESG products out there, uh, but but the data they rely on, on the, you know, the, the, e, the environmental, social and governance data that they rely on to, to make investments can be patchy and, and poor. And, um, you know, you, ca- you could have a, a situation where a management company is presenting itself as greener than it actually is. That's known as greenwashing. So sort of in the absence of really good, rich data for the, for the passive product to be really effective and, and invest in in you know in the right the right kind of companies and ensuring that they're ethical i think it's still got some way to go and um therefore at the moment having human being um making those decisions and really getting beneath the surface of the business's operations and the way it works and how it treats its employees and all that kind of stuff is probably still required at this stage while the sector is is sort of still emerging that that's certainly our view i mean we will keep a watching brief on this stuff i mean ethical esg sustainable call it what you like is an incredibly important and growing in importance actually space so um you know we've been in this space for almost a couple of years now um portfolio returns have been fantastic and it's meeting a real need in society so we will see what happens Mm, yeah, certainly an exciting area. Um, okay, well, there's another there's another view that I've heard. It's perhaps a bit harsh, and that's um, you know that digital wealth managers are, are never going to gather enough assets to make much money because you know, as is the case with uh, a lot of investments, fees are generated because it's an ad valorem fee, so it's a percentage of assets, and if you haven't got a lot of assets, therefore you, you can't make a lot of fees. Do you think? This view is is unfair, you know, something's been missed here. I do think it's unfair. I, I know where that view comes from. I mean, there have been a lot of headlines about some of our peers who have, who have failed um, and question marks about profitability of, of, of certain companies. Um, and there have been some casualties in this space, but that's not exactly headline news for what is a very young sector. Uh, I guess all I can really say is that we are well on track to reach our profitability targets. Uh, and arguably more importantly for our customers, they've got the reassurance that we're backed by a big name, Aviva, uh, there behind us. So you've got that combination of the, the agile startup together with the, the beefy balance sheet of one of the biggest insurers. Yeah, I mean, let's talk a bit more about that tie up with, with Aviva. You know, why was it done? What do you think it's, it's really bringing the business apart from just that financial security you mentioned? So, well, obviously, you know, that financial security is, is not to be, um, you know, underestimated that is key but from from our customers point of view um it's, it's probably name awareness as much as anything so I, I would love to sit here and say that you know wealthfire is a household name it's not yet you know we're doing great things in the marketing space but you know we are clearly not a household name yet aviva are a household name or is a household name um so that you know and we know that when it comes to investing it's quite a new concept to a lot of people and it could be scary or alien to them. So having the reassurance of a, of a high profile name like Aviva can only be additive and we are, we embrace that. Yeah, I can sort of see that sort of like a badge of verification. I mean, do you think this is a bit of an issue with new customers is that, you know, when you've been, 
you know, you've got a lovely digital um, proposition for a financial product. Do you think alarm bells ring a little bit that, you know, what's actually going to happen with my money or, you know, could this be fraud? Do you think those are the kind of those issues that you have to hurdle as, as a new kind of product provider? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely, Marcus. I mean, we know, you know, from financial services, full stop, trust is, you know, something that really needs to be earned. Um, so having a big name behind you, being regulated by the FCA, these sort of things are really important to, to customers. Um, so yeah, you know, I, th- I think we are not alone in recognising that. I mean, one of the things I've noticed with these, with, with certain digital wealth managers is that they appear now to be bumping a little bit into the, into the, um, financial advisor space. And there's, there's, there's certain, certain ones that offer products that, 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 that have the, you know, enhanced products that have this kind of a level of financial advice. Do you think this is where the sector is going? Do you think this is something Wealthify would offer? So you're obviously seeing mixed views uh, in this space. Um, at Wealthify, we have taken the strategic decision not to offer advice. We are a, a purely non-advised proposition. Um, but what we do offer is a, a beautiful and beautifully simple investment service, but it's not advice. Um, you know, it was a really important factor for us in that we see the two things, advice versus non-advice, as being very distinct. And we've actually just partnered with the UK's biggest service provider to IFAs in the UK, Simply Biz, um, as offering a solution to their smaller clients. So absolutely, we don't want to be competing with advisors. We want to be partnering with them and we see it as a different service. Thank you very much, Dan Giddings, for joining us on the pod today. Thank you, Marcus. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview. It was great to speak to Dan. He's absolutely top chap and Wealthify is an impressive firm. Simon, let's let's speak a little bit about the idea of advice and not advice. You know, what makes this not advice? Yeah, I, you, you, you kind of touched on it in the interview. You know, this name of robo-advice for these kinds of services is, is basically just unhelpful um, because you're not getting any advice, or at least you're not getting advice in the way that the regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority, defines advice, which is that if you're getting a personalised, individualised recommendation, you know, based on an assessment of your own personal circumstances from a qualified financial advisor, then you're getting advice. If you're not getting that, then you're not. Um, and, and discretionary wealth managers, uh, sorry, uh, digital wealth managers, should I say, the, of the kind uh, that Wealthify is, you know, they're just not doing that. I mean, even if they take into account you know, your attitude to risk when you open an account, that is not advice. Um, yeah, so whoever, you know, coined the term robo-advisor, you know, they weren't being very helpful, let's say. <laughs> and, um, you know, wealth manager, again, is another description that we hear in, in, in the finance industry. What's a, what's a traditional wealth manager? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's true. So a, a traditional wealth manager, you know, I, I suspect people have got this image in their minds of a man in, uh, a pinstripe suit and braces in a, in a wood-panelled room. And um, that might have been true in the past. It's certainly not true these days. But they are this kind of traditional breed. And they would probably say that people like Wealthify aren't really wealth managers because to them, wealth managers, you know, it involves a human being picking individual companies to invest in in these things called discretionary portfolios, whereby, you know, I've got half half a million pounds, I hand it over to my wealth manager, and then he goes and picks companies based on my specific investment needs. Now, 
what the digital wealth managers are doing is a bit different from that. What they're doing is allocating money to different asset classes and then using exchange-traded funds, ETFs, to track those asset classes. Um, so it is a bit different. The problem, of course, with the old-fashioned model is that you need a, 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 you know, a stupendous amount of money, really, to, to, to use those services. I mean, you know, £250,000, a quarter of a million pounds is not unheard of to get started with a traditional wealth manager. Wealthify, by comparison, doesn't have a minimum if you want to open an investment account or a, an individual savings account, an ISA with them, and it's only £50 minimum for a pension. So, you know, theoretically, you can get started for the, you know, the price of a, a cup of coffee uh, and, you know, off, off you go. Um, so there are differences, definitely. So a wealth manager is like having your own personal fund manager who's picking stocks according to your specific um, circumstances uh, and uh, what the digital wealth managers are doing are creating multi-asset portfolios according to different risk profiles. So it, one is, is about a very sort of mass market type product. The other one is very, very personalized. Well, I was going to say, what about the minimums for a... Um, an IFA as well. What what would what would they require? Yeah, that varies uh, house to house. But the 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 mood music I hear is that it's going up. I mean, you know, there's there's been a contraction of the financial advice business over the last ten years. The regulator has been more involved. Costs have gone up. Um, you know, costs of running the the, the legal frameworks of the business have, have gone up, and therefore financial advisors have said, well, you know, we need to put our, our minimum investment amount up in order to make that work. Um, as I say, it varies, but it's not unheard of for £150,000 to be a sort of starting point for financial advice. Okay, and then, um, you know, 10 minutes it takes to, to get going with this. Is that too quick? Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing amount of time, isn't it, really, when you think, think about it? I mean, I, you know, I, I suppose if you were being a bit um, sort of sceptical, you could say, you know, it, it is too quick. You know, investing is not like being in a supermarket and choosing a toothpaste. It, it demands more consideration than that. But I think the expectation from these kinds of, of, of platforms is that the customers have done the research and the thinking before, you know, going online and opening an account. They haven't just woken up one morning and thought, well, I'll, I'll spend the next 10 minutes being a, an investor before I go and brush my teeth. You know, it is a bit more considered, as I say. The, the, the key point here, though, really, is that these digital wealth managers are digital-first businesses. You know, they don't have these legacy systems. They don't have to worry about paper and, you know, passport-sized photographs and, you know, signatures on. It's all done digitally. And, and what they've done, obviously, is spent a lot of time uh, thinking about how to make that as simple as possible and how that can be done on a phone, how it can be done on a tablet, you know, so that people have, have a new way of accessing what was historically, you know, quite a, a laboursome um, uh, pursuit of having to, having to open an account in a very uh, slow fashion. So, no, I don't think 10 minutes is too quick. It's, it's just that, uh, you know, they've spent a bit of time thinking about it. Yeah, and I think because you're not selecting funds, there's there's probably uh, that you don't need to know as much basically about about um, investments and the way it works and asset classes and 
and all that kind of stuff that we teach at, at Steps to Investing. Um, so that's where it kind of fast forwards you a little bit. I think at Steps to Investing, you know, we're trying to get as much information out there as possible. So you become really engaged with the idea of investing and, and you can start to come up with your own strategies and have a little bit of fun. Um, uh, hopefully when those, you know, make some money and you see a return. Um, so that's, I suppose, the only thing that they're, they're kind of, they're not doing there. It's about getting you from, uh, you know, not, you know, having savings perhaps and then into investments as quick as time possible, easy, simply um, uh, uh, on these platforms that, that look really good. Um, okay, so let's finally get on to Aviva. You know, they're, they're backed by Aviva. Aviva is enormous. It is a household name. This has got to be a good thing, right? Well, I think probably it is. Um, you know, it's a well-worn path for these digital wealth managers. You know, most of them started out as independent and then they had investments from the kind of bigger, older, uh, established firms because they they realised how expensive it is to be in business, in the investment um, services business. You know, uh, it, all of the costs of running these things, uh, you know, add up. And, it, and it's also quite hard to convince people to become customers. And, you know, you talk, touched on it in the interview. You know, I, I think a lot of people would say, well, if I'm going to do something that I think is quite risky with my money, then I want to do it with an older, you know, more established brand that I've I've heard of. And I, I think that you know, is a challenge for these firms. But that being said, it doesn't mean that, you know, what they're offering isn't a good product or a good service. Um, what it, what it, what it does mean now is that there are, they have some deep pockets backing them, and that that's a good thing. You know, look at Moolah. That these that was another platform, a wealth a digital wealth manager. They closed earlier this year, uh, basically because it just ran out of uh, of money. So you know, having Aviva there um, as a as a backer, I think you know, on balance, is a good thing. Well, thanks for that, Simon. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the interview with Dan at Wealthify. Uh, don't forget our free quarterly guide the steps to investing guide is out at the moment there's lots of hints and tips and analysis on what's going on in markets and uh, the risks that are in short term as well as some opportunities in the long term um, so please click on the link in the pod bio as well as our free seven day course it's an email course it only requires about five or ten minutes each day and we email you with lots of uh, links to different bits of content on the steps to investing website to get you going if you just want to learn a bit more about starting with investing um, big thanks to wealthify um, please don't see this as a as a recommendation you must make go out there and make your own decisions um, but aside from that we'll see you next week cheers marcus yes thank you very much uh, for listening you can check out all the previous apps of the podcast on the steps to investing website it's steps to investing.com we'll be back next week until then take care out there and happy investing cheers bye now